Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we're sponsored by the fourth annual Omaha Improv Festival, which is happening this year, May 20th through the 22nd, in beautiful Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I've gone to this festival twice, and I definitely recommend it. This year, they're bringing Nick Armstrong and Amy Gorlich, along with great regional teams like Governor Jack, Bearded Men, and even El Guapo from here in Chicago. They try to accept as many teams as possible, but there's only just a few weeks left to sign up. To sign up, go to omahaimprovfestival.com. That's omahaimprovfestival.com. And speaking of Amy Gorlich, we are sponsored by her improv training hub in New York City. It's been running independent improv, sketch, and stand-up classes for over eight years. Artistic director Amy Gorlich teaches her crump classes on weeknights and weekends in New York City. You can also catch her at workshops and improv festivals all year round. You're going to see her at this year's Omaha Improv Festival. Now let me tell you about Crump. Crump helps you with finding and stripping down the games in your show to create a perfectly magical ensemble piece. For more information, to check out this wonderful training, go to improvtraininghub.com. That's improvtraininghub.com. And we're also sponsored by this year's Chicago Improv Festival. Hey, improvisers from all over America, do you want to perform at this year's Chicago Improv Festival? Well, if so, it's happening May 2nd through the 8th, and it's going to be a blast. They're currently taking submissions in seven different artistic categories. So whatever type of show you do is a show they want to see. They're taking online submissions from now until February 29th. For more information or to send us a submission, go to chicagoimprovfestival.org. That's chicagoimprovfestival.org. I got something really special for you today, something that you are going to love. Yes, I got another great episode of Improv Nerd for you. You know, I never get tired of that opening. I know you guys might, but I, I, still, I, I still enjoy it. Our guest today is the Defiant Thomas Brothers, and uh, we, we recorded this episode live at Stage 773 for this year's Chicago Sketch Fest. The Defiant Thomas Brothers consists of Paul Thomas and Seth Thomas. One member is white, one member is black. And what I love about their comedy is they aren't afraid to explore race when it comes up in their material. In a world that seems to be getting more and more PC, they're brave, intelligent, and fearless. They're also very funny. We talk to them about getting back together after nine years, how audiences have changed, and how they come up with their material. Before we get to the episode with the Defiant Thomas Brothers, I have not shared this on this podcast yet. Uh, because I'm always afraid to share my dreams or my goals because what if I don't follow through on them? And I have had a long history of not following through on my, on my goals and my dreams. And I also, there's a part of me who's totally superstitious and just thinks I'm going to jinx it if I mention it. I'm going to do it anyways. One of my, my dreams for this podcast is to turn Improv Nerd into a TV show, a half-hour show on like IFC, CISO, Sundance Channel, Comedy Central. So we put together a scissor reel, which is like a, a basically a three-minute movie trailer for what the show could look like. And that is the easy part. The hard part for me still is to take that scissor reel 
put it in an email, and send it to my friends who are successful producers, directors, actors in Los Angeles, and ask for their help. Because I get afraid, and I stop myself. And the messages in my head are, who's going to want to help me? I don't want to bother them. I don't want to use them. I don't want them to think that I'm taking advantage of our friendship. But the one thing I can tell you that I've learned, and I've had success, spotty at times, but I've had some success, is success comes when I ask a lot of people and I get a lot of rejection. And the help, and somebody who opens a door for me, it's usually someone that I don't expect it. So I sent it out to a friend of mine who is very successful in Los Angeles, has got some television shows on television and is producing, and he just said, very honestly, sent a great email and said, this isn't something that we're interested in. And that's rejection. And I wish I could tell you I'm really good with rejection and it just goes off my back, but it doesn't. So I emailed a friend of mine in Los Angeles and I said, what do you do when you get rejected? And he said something back. We were Facebook messaging back and forth. And it was something very simple. He said, exercise, prayer, and move on. You're going to love this episode of the Defiance Thomas Brothers. Just a quick warning. Seth Thomas uses the N-word a lot in this episode and makes me uncomfortable. And we discuss it, which I think is very important. So here it is. I know you're going to enjoy it. These guys are a great, great sketch duo. Here it is, the Defiant Thomas Brothers. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Thank you, Thank Seth. you, thank you. Thank you, Paul, thank you. Thank you, it's thank fantastic. You so fantastic. All right. Thank okay. you. Thank great. You. All right, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm huge fans, you know, of you guys, right? Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. We'll start with you, Seth. You grew up in Oakland, California. Yes. And today your mother is a stand-up uh, a comedian in Cleveland. Yes. Okay. Yes. And you said you get sometimes get into comedy discussions with her. What kind of... Th- I, I, I just want to know what kind of discussions you get into. Because I, I would imagine generationally your, your, your approach to comedy is different. We talk about comedy, okay. um, sketch comedy, stand up, uh, who does what, what works, what doesn't work, why I don't do stand up, why, you know, she doesn't do sketch comedy, you know, things like that. You know, it's just always comedy based. Now, you were also in theater and dance in high school, in college. I, I, yes, I was best dancer in high school. What it kind of the, dancing did you do? It was the 80s, man. I, it was, you know, the running man, uh, MC Hammer. You know, we, we watched uh, MTV to learn, you know, to watch all people dance and you imitate what you see on the videos and stuff. So, yeah. A lot but of you were very po- that made you very popular, right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> are you saying that? Are you saying that sincerely? I'm sincerely saying I was popular at school. Okay. And then after college, you are you're 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 teaching uh, for Teach for America now. Yes. Right. Yes. And then how did you get from L.A. to the the comedy scene in Chicago? Greyhound. Okay, that's that's how you physically got here. Yes. How did you get the idea of like PM I'm, you know, I'm gonna come. What did you say, Paul? 8 p.m. tonight. 8 p.m. tonight. Right. Just so much of this. Mm-hmm. It's so much of this. How it's, did you decide to, to move here in Chicago? Uh, I wanted. I, I called my mom and I was like, I want to be on Saturday Night Live, and she was like, Well, then you need to go to Second City. So I went. And then. She had a friend, Francis Collier, right? Yes. She said, you know Francis, go say, you know, that's, what, that's how the biz works. It's who you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got to know people. So 
my mom knew people. No, I'm just saying. I, yeah. I went, I saw Francis. Francis was like, oh, you know, go get into some classes. And so I started taking classes. Uh, I heard, did I hear conservatory? Somebody was in conservatory? Yeah, second yeah. conservatory. Yeah, we did the conservatory. Six months later, he was on SNL. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At that point, was that like, I'm going to, I want to be on main stage, I want to be on an SNL? Well, or? I mean, that was the way it was happening, right? right. You remember. I remember, um, yeah. You, you know, you went to conservatory, you did tour company, you did ETC. From ETC, you went to main stage. From main stage, you went to SNL. It wasn't it a narrow path back then. That's yeah. the way it worked. And I mean, and, and, and remember when Keenan went to Mad TV from ETC, and that was the first time we Keegan, all went. Keegan, Keegan, Michael, Keegan, Keegan, Michael K. K. Yeah. Did I say Keenan? Sorry. Yeah, she said Keegan. Keegan. I would say Stephanie Weir went before that. Stephanie Weir went too yeah. from ETC, right? No, she was no, on main She was on main stage. That was the point. Yeah. When Keegan went from ETC, we were all like, oh my God, he was the first one that didn't go main stage first. Yeah. Right. So maybe maybe we all we have to do is get the yeah, ETC, the, yeah, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Process. All we got to do is get the ETC. Uh, yeah. 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 To, uh, now, Paul, you grew up in Wisconsin near mm-hmm. the border of Minnesota. Yes. So way up there, as we say, right? Actually, it's southwestern, so it's not that far up. Southwestern Wisconsin. <laughs> and here, here, <laughs> and here's what I find yeah. so amazing about you: you never did any comedy or theater in high school or college. No. After college, you're working at ESPN yes. in Connecticut. And you felt like you wanted to do something more creative. How did you end up in Chicago doing improv? Um, I, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you, you get your job, and I went through grad school for sports administration. This all makes sense. And then you get your job, and you're at a desk, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this is life. <laughs> Sounds cool. And your friends are like, you're at ESPN, and it's in Bristol, Connecticut. And then, yeah, I just needed to do something more creative. And even a couple years before that, I, had, I was the sports information director at the athletic department where I graduated from. And I would write the um, faculty newsletter for sports updates, which was actually, you know, I had to write it on Thursday and there's games on Saturday. So I started using it. It's like, you're going to, if you care, you already know what's going on. So I would write sometimes just essays for it. So I kind of had a weird in following of like faculty writing it. And you put the scores in there, but I would just write about whatever. And so that kind of gave me writing samples in a weird way, which helped me later. But that kind of gave me the big, I want to do more of that thing. And then everybody thought when you're at ESPN, you're like, oh, yeah, when are you going you know, to be on air? Mm-hmm. You're like, they don't go around to cubicles in every department, like, interviewing people. It's like, no, I'm just in a department with a computer tapping stuff in, yeah. uh, unrelated to life. And then but, didn't you look something up on the Yeah, internet? I was telling you that. I, I'm trying to remember the sequence because it was really bizarre of I actually went in to work. So we didn't, didn't have laptops at home. Um, I went into work on a Saturday just to go. And I don't know how, and I, go, I it would have been a Yahoo'd probably at the time. Cause this would have been like, <laughs> a Yahoo'd um, Chicago improv or something. Because somebody had said, like, oh, you know, maybe it's whose line was it in? It might have been on. Mm-hmm. But that's what I associate with improv. I thought it was all short form. And I was like, I don't want to, it wasn't, it didn't sound that interesting to me of the, those games like that. But then I went and I actually searched that in about Chicago. And then that evening we were out with a friend and her friend, I just made some joke. She's like, oh, you should do. And I was like, what the hell? I just. Y- Yahoo! That <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so she six said hours you- ago, like six hours later, I'm meeting somebody. I'm like, that was kind of a weird destiny thing. And then I was in Chicago in August visiting my sister, and somebody, her friend, had an apartment that was like, oh yeah, it's cool place. And he's like, yeah, if you want to, whatever. And I gave my six weeks notice. I'm like, I have a place, mm-hmm. so I quit my job and came. <clears throat> so you'd never done it, and nope. you move here, and you get this apartment for like four ninety five in Lincoln month, Park. In Lincoln Park, <laughs> yeah. Which it, you know, for people that listen to the podcast, is it. Even back then was a really nice It was very cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And now you take A through E at Second City, which is the beginning classes, right? And then you get into conservatory, which which is a a real accomplishment for someone who had no experience. Um, 
How did you ever, when was the time, when was the moment where you're like, I'm good at this? Or, uh, this is going to sound horrible, but I, I, like once I did, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do this. You know, the improv was hard. Like the writing classes are what, like, what, I, what I took to. And then I remember just going to my level A class and going back to my sisters, just being like, this is hard. You know, <laughs> with that, you just do it. You have to do it. And I just knew I wasn't going to stop. So that was the thing. But I think having, having those side by side and the writing program was new at the time. Is that your that sports uh, experience? Like you come from like, like kind of like an athlete, like, Absolutely. you know what? Absolutely. I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing this yeah. until I get better. Absolutely. There's stuff like that where I, I, I probably gravitated some people. We were talking about Brady Novak before. Mm -hmm. People come from sports backgrounds. And, and then sometimes you see on stage, people are making fun of the jock from their high school. And I remember somebody being like, I read this book John Wooden wrote. This really applies to mm -hmm. improv. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's very much like you don't quit. You don't bitch about other things. You just hit it. Right, right. You know, like I didn't, I didn't play a lot of sports. I was like a band guy and, you know, dance kid, but a lot of theater kid. But I like, I worshiped athletes, you know what I mean? Like football, basketball, that kind of stuff. And so at my approach to theater has always been very, you know, like, you know, sports related. Um, uh, one of my favorite basketball players was, was Kobe Bryant. And, you know, at 17, when he was in the pros, he shot those three air balls, you know what I mean? But it was a heart thing, you know? And you go to the gym, and you learn how to shoot threes. You know, you end your career with five championships, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think heart is the thing that you can't really pick up in a class, you know? The, that, that, that heart, that instinct that I'm going to do this. Because what, what you end up doing then is you end up doing a lot of shitty theater in the beginning, you know? And that's what breaks you is, you know, is your show at eight o'clock in the back of Leroy's barbecue pit. <laughs> and you're trying to do this uh, rendition of Hamlet while they're serving short rib sandwiches and it's free. You know what I mean? That shit's brutal. I'm sorry I missed those performances. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Because the food sounded wonderful. The food was fantastic. It was very hard to stay on track. But here's the thing that I struggle with. And, and, and what you guys are saying is it's not just talent. To, to make it. No. It's not a meritocracy, and that's still, we deal with that all the time, where you're like, why did that person, and that's for, you know, you always have to say that, it doesn't, you never stop convincing of yourself, because you get mad, because you're like, but I'm, you know, you have to, and that's when the sports, if you come from a sports back and you're playing, getting any criticism also, compared to somebody screaming at you, I'm like, I never have to run sprints, you know, <laughs> if I screw up, and nobody's, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that part, anybody who played sports and got got their ass ripped up by the coach. And but I think, uh, for me at least, there's a myth that if you have talent, you're going to be discovered. And, you know, if you really have it, you're not going to experience any of the failure or any of these, these, these shows that you have to do in the yeah. back room where there's, you know, two people and, you know. Well, nobody comes out of no anywhere, and that's what people don't understand, you know. Fame means that there's a lot of people who know who you are. You know, and so the reality is that small group of people that are constantly working, constantly working, you know, you, anybody that you really like, you know, you start digging into them and, you know, you find out they come from their so-and-so's cousin whose mother did this, whose mother did that, and this one did this, and this one did that. And by the time you find out, you know, people don't know that, like, Nicki Minaj is classically trained actor. They just know she raps. You know what I mean? As well. You know? So when you so when you wonder why is her why is her career so successful is because she knows how to play a character because she's classically trained. And I don't mean like, 
She went to, she studied college. What's the second one in New York behind Juilliard, the second one? She went there, tried to get in for music, didn't get in, got in for theater. You know, so there is art to it, the talented, whatever, but then you got to put in the work, you know? And that's the thing. It's like, I think hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. That's a John Wooden saying too, I believe. I repressed them all. They were quoted to me so many times. Oh, right. So you guys met because you're both in conservatory at Second City. Sure. And uh, but you're in different classes and you're doing a diversity showcase. Uh, what was it about so you, you meet backstage, right? Mhm. Cuz you you're not doing the same scenes in, in that diversity showcase. Mhm. What was it about uh, each other's personality that you think uh, made it mesh? Made you guys hit it off? I think initially Paul just felt sorry for me. And that kind of like. In what way? Why was he feeling sorry for you? I think he just kind of felt sorry for me. I think he felt my pain. And uh, and doing that showcase. During the during the during the showcase, yeah. Like I feel for all black people. Like all black people. Okay. No, so would you make it clear that you you didn't want to be in this? No, no, no. So there was it was a cast of about thirty. Twenty celebrating a lot of black history. It was black history month thing. So so there was uh, 30, 30, 29 people. One you know white guy. Paul, you uh-huh. know, and everybody's, you know, so we have this huge meeting where everybody brings stuff to the table. Like, what are you going to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And everybody was bringing, you know, the white man got Something their foot on my Africa. neck and Africa and <laughs> chains in Africa and blackness. And I was, and I had a thing like, hey, you know, I like my life. America's cool. I'm enjoying myself. You know, I, I'm, I'm in a really great place right now, you know, and I thought it was artistically cool. Yeah. It rhymed. Mm-hmm. It was it, it had to, the cut. It had, and so yeah. and it didn't make the cut. And when I and I was just kind of thrown initially, kind of, and and then it was really hard to be like, you know, and I think I might have just been like, you know, man, you I can't I can't raise you weren't raising the fist. Yeah, I wasn't raising the, you know, the the, the, the militant. The, my, yeah, I wasn't yeah. militant yeah. enough set. Right. It was more it was a celebration. It was, it was more I was celebrating life. I was yeah. I'm I'm okay. Right. You know, and I think that um, those kind of sensibilities in that kind of room, I think, you know, just kind of at some point just kind of gra- gravitated to each other because we kind of was like both kind of looking at the world from the same kind of, you know, situation. You know, a line that was there was like there were slave owners on both sides of the hyphen. Right. That was, was it. it. Yeah. They were both. Yeah. Because it was African American. I said there was slave. There was, you know, there was a slavery on, on both, on both sides, sides of the hyphen. hyphen. Yeah. You know, we never want to acknowledge the, that, that, you know, one, you know, Ghana's still populated. There are people in Ghana who like who have been there since 1000 AD, right? And 2016, which means they survived the slave trade. How? If we're going to buy the story that ships just kept showing up and roping people up and taking them somewhere. So it's like, come on. We just took a turn here everybody. <laughs> no, so I'm saying so I was I was I was I was giving that off. I was talking about what it means to be to be to be me be me me in, in America. You know, I had, and, and, and it was just getting ignored. And then Paul lent me an ear. And what was it about Seth that you feel that your personalities matched? I think we covered it there. I felt his uh, pain. <laughs> <laughs> I was the minority in the group. How, think, how was that to be, be the only white guy amongst 29? I, I grew, I mean, as much as from Southwest, I lived in t- Topeka, Kansas, of all things, like my first 13 years, and there was a, a larger black population. So I, I'm not as white as my background, but it's pretty white. But that thing where 
other people go, oh, here's what black people think. And you're like, there's 30 people in the room and 30 diverse views of whatever. And you can have that, like, oh, I met this Chinese guy and he said that. And you're like, <laughs> that's one, you know. But that was that was the interesting part of just seeing everybody argue. Not argue, It wasn't a big arguing fest, but just seeing all these points of view within this celebratory words show from his stuff to there's something about Africa. Yeah. yeah. Well, right, you we know, that as, as you were uh, uh, explaining, you know, your, 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 your outrage about that show, I almost... Wait a minute. Time out. We love D. Griffin. We loved it. We, <laughs> we loved the loved show. All right. We, we loved the show. Okay, D. We loved the show. the show. Okay. I was outraged that my poem didn't get accepted, which yes. is natural. Okay. Yes. But, but what, what I hear from you is your objective, you're, uh, you, you're as hard on, on black Co- comedy as you are on white comedy. I don't think there is black or white comedy. Tell I think, me there's, about that, I think yeah. there's just comedy. Right. I think there's styles. Mm-hmm. I think that pe- things there are people do. Um, but the problem is, I, the biggest problem with with uh, black comedy is other. If you're talking black comedy, white comedy, black comedy hasn't figured out how to laugh at itself yet. That's why do I you mean. think that is? Um, because it's. It's it's a you know who's gonna who's gonna turn around and poke the fun at what you're doing you know it's a hard clo- it's a hard position to be in you know it's uh, I don't mind it but then the flip side of that becomes you know I'm the one poking fun which is fine but but in your show you guys do go and you, you talk about race I don't I don't know if we talk about race I think okay. we I think we talk about like I think we talk about like um, I think we just play characters who are caught in situations where race comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, with that, like we're, we don't. There's no agenda. Yeah, it's just like whatever the scene idea is. So even when people are like, oh, they do racial comedy. There's not a lot percentage-wise. In See, the- here's the thing. Okay. Because of the color of my skin, I will always be perceived as a black guy. So I don't have to play a black guy. Everybody get that? Okay. I can just play a. I can just play a handyman and let the cast project black onto me. Mm-hmm. But you guys, in fairness, want, regardless if you have an agenda or not, yeah. you, you do discuss it more than most sketch groups. Would you say race? I would say we, in private, we, if you took our conversations, <laughs> I mean, if we went into like of our conversations and then compared to the show, it's so much more we're just talking about stuff. Because a lot of things I can't say as a mm-hmm. white man. I can't, I can't have certain opinions. So I, I give them to him. So like the... the, the most of the... See... We like comedy, and comedy is a lot of word play, and so we play on a lot of words. And mm-hmm. so right now, a lot of words are just racially charged, and so I think that's where we get a lot of our comedy from. I mean, when, when society decides that they just really hate sheets and pillowcases, then I'm sure our comedy will gravitate towards <laughs> sheets and pillowcases. I don't think you will ever go to sheets and pillowcases. <laughs> I, I just... I, yeah. So, Is that a uh, challenge, Jimmy Christian? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. here comes the pillowcase scene. White sip. Right. Martin Luther King around yeah. the corner. Um, so, uh, nine, and, uh, nine years ago, yeah. you guys are the thing, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, with the Defiant Timeless Brothers. Yeah. And uh, you, after meeting at the conservatory, you put this, this, this two-man group together, and uh, Brian Posen recommends you to somebody from the Aspen Comedy Festival, uh-huh. which at the time, if people don't know this, it's, it doesn't have the same luster as it used to, yeah. but it was a very prestigious festival that was, could break you out as a star. Uh-huh. You get into the festival. Uh-huh. Now, this is only like two years you guys are together, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Roughly? Yeah. 
How do you feel at that time like getting to the Aspen Comedy Festival? For those Googling at home, by the way, Aspen Comedy Festival is a later festival. That yeah. Just, they, it, that filled the void. Yeah, it's okay. it was just something it was the, it was the HBO Comedy Arts Festival. Yeah, the okay. Comedy Arts, yeah. And, but right. it happened in Aspen. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it was yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. It was getting like, to Aspen. It was the one. Was the one. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get to Aspen. Um, getting to Aspen was... Oddly enough, when we got to Aspen, by the time we got to Aspen, the I think the focus kind of changed a little bit. Um, and that was, by the time we got there, uh, we were kind of representing Chicago comedy, you know, which was different when we started out. When you start out, you're like, oh, shit, we just kind of want to do our thing, yeah. whatever, whatever. But then it was like, you know, Brian said something to us, then you, we Brian were doing both and said, then, you know, then they auditioned, then we get in, and then like, you know, like the, like someone was in the paper about it, like we're going to Aspen, yeah. and like people were talking to us and all that kind of stuff, and it was kind of like, oh. So I think when we got out there, it was really, really, I know for me, it was very important that we just kicked ass to, you know, to represent the Chicago scene. Because what also happened was the person from the Comedy Arts Festival came to Chicago and found that, like, there were people who were assigned to find talent. One, most of them went to New York and went to L.A. And just get Second City. They go, and Second then, City yeah. will always have a showcase. Right, so they always just went there. Yeah. And then the, the one person who came to Chicago took us to Aspen. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like we felt like we had to represent Chicago comedy, yeah. hardcore, you know. Well, so I think it, it, it became less about the stardom. And it was, we still were kind of out there. Like, we still had something to prove. Like, we still really had to kick yeah. ass out there. How did you feel about that pressure of re representing Chicago? It was just good. We had run so much because we had run every week on our own for one person, two. So anytime when you have an audience, it's just we, we knew what we were doing at that point because you get a lot of confidence performing in a small, you know. Again, we perform for one person, two people. This three. is average every We did this every yeah, week. No, we, yeah. we did this like we did, every yeah. week. about 10 people here, eight people. Yeah, we, we yeah, did we this every week okay. for 18 we months we straight, and we, we played rent. Money. So, yeah. Yeah. So we were paying one fifty a night, whatever, and we, you know, sixty bucks comes in, and you're like, okay, I'm paying to make the show better, really. <laughs> right. right. And you yeah. were in an offbeat. You were at uh, what was yeah, it? Yeah, uptown, the Met uptown, Metro Theater, yeah. yeah. Montrose, yeah. Montrose, and, and it was like Broadway. on the second floor the second of second floor. Frankie J's. I mean, yeah. It was no liquor license. Yeah. 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 Eight o'clock. It'd be still we sunny in the running. summer. You just. I'd like, be like, oh. I wouldn't be going to this thing. It's sunny outside. Yeah. So for people that are listening to this and like these guys were playing eight to ten people for two years straight, and they get to ask. I mean, what's the lesson there? Is you, it's, there's two things. One, you go, and I, we did have a chip on our shoulder, sense of like, yeah, we deserve, because we, we did the work. So yeah, you kind of go yeah. up and you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to go. And then when we, after, after we broke up, um, you kind of go, oh, this is all I have to do. We had the talent, and then you work hard. Yeah. And it kind of messes with your brain, because I come from that sports background of, mm -hmm. oh, you beat this guy, you, you know, we, you play against this guy, you beat them, and then it, for the next 10 years it doesn't work like that do you <laughs> it just doesn't even out there at the festival yeah. you go to these things and you're like i was expecting to see mind-blowing comedy and there was some like fly to the conqueror right. i'll never forget it's four in the afternoon in the same tent yeah we shared a show with them and i said they set up a tent out there in big stage and i watched them and i go i'm never doing musical comedy ever again and i do I'm, I'm never doing it because it's just like amazing it's yeah just like i've not seen <clears throat> something like this and they did okay but there's a, there's a lot out there where i'm like oh there's like sketch groups back in chicago who are way better but you know, you have the the people who know yeah. people, and it becomes just like any other. But it's just it's it's just you're where like, you well, so that person. But then you're in there with industry, and you're automatically great because somebody has determined that you should be there. 
So then you got agents and you got the guy from NBC and the guy from HBO and it's, you know, industry. They look like this. Are these guys good? You guys see what I'm, you know, they're here. Right, and right. It's, it's, it goes back to the, it's not a meritocracy thing. So you have to. Did you, the lesson, did you, what was the movie? Uh, Death to Smoochie. You ever see that movie? No. You know what I'm so talking about? Death to Smoochie, you talking about? Okay. So remember, uh, you know, over here, this tragedy happens. And then the, the fallout of the tragedy is we need to find somebody who's squeaky clean. So we need to find someone who's squeaky clean. The only person who's squeaky clean is Smoochie. And then Smoochie's performing in some train stop somewhere, and they found him, right? But the lesson there is that Smoochie was performing, and they knew where to find him. And that's how this works. You know, you're not going to be at, you're not, your luck isn't going to, I can't, sit in my house and, and have this great idea for a show and it's going to automatically align with the producer who's looking for a great show at the same time. You're, that's, not gonna, that's not how that works. You have to just be running and people have to know where to find you and then when someone comes looking, because at some point somebody wakes up and decides I need to look for something, <laughs> they, look for, they find you. And that's just how that works. And so you just got to keep grinding. That's why we try to have another run. That's why we have another run now. You just keep running. So after that, you guys get signed by the talent agent, William Morris, which mm -hmm. is a big deal. And then you get a development deal to do a sitcom for you for the UPN. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was, that That's was how good. that worked. That's, it was fun. Yeah. It was, a, it was kind of a mess. Yeah, it was. I think you described it as a hot mess. Yeah. It was, it was it's, hot. It's toasty. one of those ones where, for, for those listening home, again, when you have agent, manager, and I know maybe some of you know about that, the different managers long-term – Agents, you know, short term and getting you jobs. They and want that. their 10%. Managers, yeah, but managers looks for a long term. We, we didn't have a manager, we had an agency. And I think the way it went, we, we could have used a manager to guide us through that process. Because when you're brand new, you might go, oh, this isn't what should be doing. But what are you going to say? You're, you're, you're fresh, <laughs> new to it. And I'm like, hey, let's not do that thing. Even though that's more money than I've made, you know, last year and I'm going to get it. But um, it just, we ended up, yeah, we're not, not writing a script, which was the original thing is to write a script. So we got paid a lot of money to do to do nothing and be attached as talent. But when you're attached as talent to a project and nobody knows who you are, you know. What is what was a lot of money back then? Fifty. We each got forty. But I mean, from going from yeah. Frankie J's to get forty thousand yeah. dollars each is like it's like winning the lottery. Yes. You yeah. know, it was for cool. a short yeah. period of time. For a short right. period of time. I know. There's, only, there's only so many things you can. There's only so many things you can buy. I understand. Yeah. Uh, take it from me. Don't quit your job, because uh, I did. You know, forty thousand dollars. I told that bitch what I really felt about. Did you have? Did you have kids at the time? Well, they were, my kid was little. Right. Small enough for me to tell that bitch what I really thought about her. And then, and then a year later, I had to go tell somebody else why well, I really need a job. Right. Yeah. You know, so there was that. But, you know, so, yeah, just, yeah. But, back, yeah, I was, I was telling you that, too. Is back then, like, yeah, the, the development, it's not like now where you have all these channels and it's like any time a show starts, you know, and a season is six episodes there. It's just like you have a window of time and if something doesn't happen, you're screwed. And then people kind of forget you. Then they're like, who's the next ones? So and a year after, you're like, oh, define, define. And in our defense, the, the, the show idea I thought was fantastic. But uh, they merged with the CW. They merged with the WB yeah. to create the CW. So they already had, like, two yeah. networks worth of programming. So what they did was they just scrapped everything new. So we just got caught up in the dump. And then you the guys. Brian Thomas Brothers got screwed by the merger of UPN <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the 
WB. That's why I don't watch nothing on the CW except for Gilmore Girls. And then, and then you guys, you guys come back after the deal falls through, and you decide to go your separate ways. At this point, uh, were you devastated what happened in LA, or was it like you were relieved? Neither. I'm sure there's an emotion in between there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> there was. It was just. And you uh, kind of think you're like you're like oh I was in this group that was whatever and you, you, it takes you a while to realize nobody gives a shit. Yeah. You know. You're like hey even industry you can be like yeah it's fine time like oh cool and you're like but you know, but it's just you. You're not you know. You're like oh yeah it doesn't mean anything. I think that with I think we re, you know with Defiant Thomas Brothers you reached a particular place. And you were like, okay, you're back home. And it's like, I got to do, you know, this process all over again. But that's not, that process isn't necessarily going to feed Defiant Times Brothers because Defiant Times Brothers has gotten here. So it's kind of a, you know, I mean, we're both really talented. We've both had things going on. You just start kind of just giving some work to those other parts of, you know, who we were. Now, did you have a discussion like, okay, let's take a break or we're breaking up the band for this? What's the next question on there, Jimmy? Yeah, exactly. You, you do not want to go there. Where? We can go to the next one. Okay. Yeah, we definitely want to go to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. great. Um, Just got really heavy there. Did it get heavy? Okay. No, Organically not heavy. Yeah. Organically. Talk about the African stuff again. Yeah, okay, let's, talk about, let's talk about Negroes and slaves. Okay, great. So you guys break up. Nine years later, you decide to come back together. 2015. Yes. Uh, why did you decide to get back together? The world needs us, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. We've been approached uh, probably separately or never like in the same place probably four or five times in the last five years where something pops up. Hey, you guys should whatever. What Mm -hmm. if you? And it didn't make sense. At least if somebody asked me, I had other stuff going, and it just didn't seem, you know, like something that would be a reopen chapter. Right. And then. This time around, it made sense. We were like, okay, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And had you cool. always had the thought in your in your head that maybe one day we will get back to get to work I together? I didn't. I really didn't. Seth? Yes. Absolutely. But not like, not like. Um, I stopped his apartment. Then he's got pictures of like everything. I, yeah, like a whole like shrine. <laughs> no. Um, what What happened was. Um, not like not like for any particular reason, but because um, I feel like individually, I feel like individually both of us were talented enough where at some point there was going to be some type of success. And then I think Defiant Thomas Brothers has always been fun for us. So I always felt at some point in our individual lives, we would just get to a point where we would revisit Defiant Thomas Brothers, if nothing else, because it was fun doing, you know? Um, I just think it happened a lot earlier than I imagined. And how much, like, now that you guys are older, does that make it a little... You appreciate yeah, like yeah, you yeah. appreciate it. All that stuff about All of that. older where you kind of... Because I know when I was in my 20s, yeah. like, everything was like... Yeah. Everything was life and death. Everything yeah. was really important. You know? We missed a great time, though. And so that's what's really awesome. You know? We missed a really great decade. And, and what do you mean by that? Like, uh, I share your curiosity. The shitty YouTube video era we, we missed. Well, that's what we, yeah, we made we, the point we, before. We, <laughs> we, we, when we broke up, we had just, I remember him he, him going, we should get a MySpace page. And I'm like, I already got one. He's like, oh, you're always one step ahead of me. I remember that. Like, and, uh, and we had we had a MySpace page, which we had that. And then there's no YouTube. We, had, we were talking with the agent. He was like, yeah, we should shoot a short film. Like, we got to 
raise, you know, ten grand to yeah, shoot yeah. something. So where are you gonna video. show? A, where are you gonna show a short film? Right, a short film. <laughs> Who's <laughs> watching those? But really, if we had been a couple years later, you know, there's a lot of groups right then where you're coming out. It's like YouTube's doing. You have, you know, at your, and I started doing film stuff then, but just you know, shittier videos. So we did skip an era. Like if we shot videos now, and I've been doing film stuff for nine years now, it's gonna look good coming out of the gate. Where we could have easily had. Some half-assed stuff, right? You know, that right. would have been shot and produced I mean, and online. Here and we are yeah. with a live show trying to sell tickets. Yeah, right. We put our name out there, the Defiant Thomas Brothers, and then if you Googled, you know, eighteen shitty videos, you're like, yeah, I'm not going like, to oh, see yeah, this show. Somebody, yeah. yeah, but Google me now. Yeah. Good luck. Well, the one nice there's thing nothing there. Yeah, the one that's awesome. Yeah, the one that is up there is when we were in Scotland. We were on the yeah, Scottish we didn't even TV, post that. Somebody else posted, posted that. that. So it's from Scottish TV. So that one looks nice. It was on TV. Yeah, so you, well produced. Are you saying that it would have been fun for the exposure, but also no. the experience? Of no, I mean, it's, well, no, it's nice. We, if we're going to skip nine years, those were the ones. Those were the to nine skip. to skip. Okay, yeah. to not have just where you're out there promoting and have some really average content with a weird aspect ratio where you can tell it's old, looking at it, or putting your like a lot of people are like here's our live show on YouTube. With that, audio. with bad audio, right? Yeah, yeah. So and it's just it right. looks just look like four blobs because they don't yeah, wear yeah, light colored yeah, whatever. Yeah. We have yeah. hard enough. They have flood lights. Tape. Oh yeah, our video we used to have just it was just I looked like a white man and he looked like yeah, it was one powder. Of who do you want to see? Paul like, who do you want to see? The only time you would here, or only when the lights were going down would you catch that we actually were like human and then back up and lights were bad. When I would watch your videos, I'm like, I don't get the race stuff. It's two white guys. Exactly. How, you know, like, so you, so nine years, you missed all the, the bad YouTube stuff, but also the audience has changed in nine yeah. years. Yes. They, they've become more politically correct. Yeah. Yes, they have. How do you guys deal with that? Because your show is not politically correct. Well, you know. <laughs> you, you, how do you adjust? We, don't, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't how, do, how do we adjust? Um, you shake your head a little bit sometimes after that. We make you you adjust where you adjust where it. Okay, so the show is the thing, the scene is the thing, the the audience must be protected so that they can enjoy the scene. Okay, so now you, explain what the so you make, protect protect the audience. Protecting the audience just makes it means that you're not necessarily directly talking to them. You know, in my opinion, I you're feel not like going to preach to them. You're not. I'm not du talking directly to them. There's, there's, there's another target for the things that are, mm -hmm. are being said. The shots that are being fired. There's targets already provided within the scene for those targets. So it's not you. So you basically get to watch something else go down, as opposed to feeling like someone's attacking you. Okay. So by protecting the audience. So then, so you protect the audience. So if you look and you go, okay, this adjustment would be politically correct, but it doesn't uh, protect the audience more or does it put them more in harm, then I would be making this adjustment just to what? Catch up with what I think might be the times? No. But if I come across something that I find now no longer protects the audience, which thus means the audience can no longer enjoy this scene, then I'm going to make an adjustment because I need to protect the audience, otherwise the audience won't protect, enjoy the scene. Do you do that with your running work? Yeah, uh, we, in this show we did, because we had one where we had a scene that came earlier. I was just like, we're not getting laughs like we, we used to, because sort of, we have, the, we have our, uh, a show that we, I mean, a lot of what you're seeing and what you'll see now is, is 10, if not 13 years old, and we, we broke it down and built it up again to get more laughs on stuff, so it's not like identical, but 
Yeah, there was a scene where it's like got laughs right away in a certain spot, and we we I don't know if we had the same run, we had to rebuild it, but it was maybe fourth scene now when we're doing our run, and and our like two shows ago, I was like, let's just move that thing later. Yeah. So audience is more used to us, and sure enough, it's just like you move it, and then they're laughing because they get something else before it. Where at first, like, yeah, can I laugh at that? What do you, I didn't, you know, what blog do I have to read to see if mm -hmm. I can, see if it's okay to laugh at that? I mean, is it simple to, simple to say that it is, we're not going to give, we're not going to do the harder stuff. We want to come out, want to be liked, more comfortable, build some trust, and then, then we're going to hit them hard later? Is, is that, is that too simple? Yeah, because, yeah. I don't know, I think it's all, I think it's all hard. I think that's the whole point. Like, it's all, it's all very difficult, um, but I think that, like, um, it's, it's comedy. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be having, you know, fun. So I think that like, there's still, because what I want to say by hard is I don't want to make it seem like one thing is, is, is harder to take or harder to deal with than something else. I just think that there's a proper order. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's serving a five course meal and you just don't bring the brownies out second. You know, that's just how that goes. I mean, so it's just, we got soup. Yeah, salad, yeah. It's soup, salad, the main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You gotta, you just gotta, you know, and yeah. you know, and and you find that you know you're bringing this out at this time that's going uneaten. And you pull it back and you realize, okay, hey, they like it better when it's. But over here. with social media and all this thing, yeah, you have a whole, you have a generation who, and, it's, and people are writing about it now, and I'm not saying anything new with that. Of just, can I? I've read so much or whatever or microaggression where it's like I can't think. For, people can't. I really believe that. There's like I can't think for myself. You know of that is that? Can I? Is can I really? Oh, it's okay. Well, I like those guys already. And then you get people who are like I'm laughing, so oh, that's okay now. Even though that's kind of messed up to me to go. Oh, you can laugh at it now, but if you know, if we had done it first, you wouldn't have laughed at it because you're doing this. It's a it's a weird thing. It's weird. Weird. Okay, so let's see. Uh, you've got a couple, couple um, scenes from yeah. a song and a, and, and a sketch from mm -hmm. the show. Okay. So let's see that, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll talk, talk about them. We'll talk about how you wow. came up with it and all, all right, that. Sure. And maybe where you have them in the show. And, all right. So sure. Let's do what, that. What, are, what are we going to do first? Uh, we'll do uh, Pool Boy first. Okay. All right. I'm, I don't, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be in the audience. Okay. Sure. <clears throat> Yeah, I'll probably put the gazebo about 15 feet from the pool. Yeah, well, the pool's looking good, man. Yeah, well, the weather holds, should be able to fill it up next week. And so I'm in my yard, and I'm looking over the fence, and I look into your yard, and I see a bunch of guys I haven't seen you before. You, you hired some new guys? Yeah, I hired some Spicks. Spicks? Yeah, swimming pool installation and cleaning specialists. <laughs> <laughs> swimming pool installation and cleaning specialists. I've never heard of Spicks. Well, they don't advertise much in the Midwest because of our winners. Well, where's Spicks headquartered? You know, I think Spicks are headquartered in Texas, but you find a lot of Spicks in Arizona and California. Well, how'd you find out about Spicks? Totally by accident. I was getting some PVC pipe at Home Depot. I was out in the parking lot there, some Spicks there talking. You know, next thing you know, got to talking, gave me their card, and tell you what, you get a lot of work done, same amount of money when you hire Spicks. Man, I wish I would have about sticks. I had to do my pool. Yeah, speaking of which, did you get, uh, I gotta stop over and see that electronic pool cover. Did you get that? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, 
man, I gotta, I gotta see it because I'm thinking about getting one. Well, what's there to think about? Ah, uh, Denise thinks I'm spending too much money on a pool. It's a pool. That's what I told her, but you know, Denise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, if you do decide to get one, get it from Jack's. Jack's? Jack's, Jacuzzi Aquarium <laughs> Pool and Spa. <laughs> Is that the place with the neon lights and dancing bear in the window? That's Jack's. Okay. I thought they were going out of business. You know, they're not as popular as they used to be, but I still think you get the best electronics from Jack's. Oh. <laughs> Great, because you know, I'm thinking about getting an underwater sound system. Jack's. Underwater lights. Jack's. A timer for the lights. Listen, if what you want is electronics, Get it from Jack's. Uh, you, know, you know what else I want? Huh? Palm trees. You like those, don't you? Yeah, I saw yours got a little jealous. Yeah, they're beautiful. You know, I can get you some of those wholesale if you want. Wholesale? How can you even wholesale? I'm a coon. You're a coon? I'm a coon. <laughs> you're telling me you're a certified occupational on-site nurseryman? I've been a coon my whole life. <laughs> you know, I come from a long line of coons. My father was a coon. His father was a coon. His father was a coon. Man, I thought you did real estate. No, I work with guys who do real estate. I sell plants exclusively to guys trying to improve the properties they're selling. I I'm like a house coon. Huh. <laughs> Is that a better situation for you? Oh my God, after 15 years of digging and planting in people's yards, let me tell you, house coon is way better than field coon. <laughs> Man, that's great. Well, I guess I just gotta get something to uh, regulate the water temperature. Oh, you gotta get a chain. A chain? Yeah, chain, a cooling and heating interior nodular kill switch. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not a heat pump. Well, of course you get a heat pump. The chain interfaces with the heat pump. It allows you to turn it off from inside the house. I have two. Oh. What do chains look like? You know, they're small, yellow, are, uh, are they expensive? You know, they vary in price, which is kind of weird to me because all chinks look the same. <laughs> I want to know what chink to get. Uh, just pick one. There's so many chinks. I just know the chinks that I have are made by the same people who make Mercedes-Benz parts. Oh, the Krauts are great at engineering. The Krauts? You know, Germans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'll get a chink from the chink from Japs and have the sticks put it in. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Yeah. It all adds up, though, doesn't it? Oh man, tell me about it. Get this. I just spent 450 bucks paying the towel heads. Oh, I hate towel heads. I hate towel heads. Everyone over there looks like they want to kill you. You know what? And towel heads are so anal. They do everything exactly by the book. Case in points. I'm over 15 pages of forms. They wouldn't let me write towel heads on each one. No. I had to write title officials for water, electrical, landscaping, housing, engineering, architecture, design. 15 <laughs> times. I hate towel heads. <laughs> You got off lucky, man. I had to get the towel heads 2,000 bucks. 2,000 bucks for yes. what? I had fads on my property. You had field and groundwater sanctions? I had field and groundwater <laughs> sanctions. Four fads to be exact. You know, and the guy told me that I got off lucky. He said that he tested and all of my fads were up high. He said there's usually way more fads down low. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, how many of these trees do you want? Uh, let me check with Denise. I'll get back to you. All right. Well, let me know. Yeah, in the meantime, wait till the guys at the country club find out I'm friends with a coon.
And we said, Hey, mister. Hey, mister. God, that was great. That was great. Um, the first, the song. Let's talk about the song first. Sure. Okay. Um, what is your policy on the N-word? What about it? Like, no when can you say it? You know, there's so many different, you know, like, today more than ever. It's um, become more sensitive. You know, you know so, <laughs> here's the, okay. 
So, <laughs> what is your policy on N words? Question has never been. I've been here we, here we go. Because hey, what's your policy? I love I N-word? love this discussion. So here's the thing. I um, love talking about race, by I, the way, because people are afraid in comedy it. and in life to talk about it. Okay, sure. So let's let's. But see, talking about race and talking about the N word are two different things, in okay, my opinion. Okay, explain, explain it. Sure. Okay, so let's assume that there were absolutely no mental connotations, and just look at it from a straight phonetic point. Okay. Um, you know, any word with the igger in it is just tastier to say. Trigger, bigger, jigger. <laughs> It's just a fun thing to say. It's you're, fun. You're, you're, um, pure search, comedy. You're sure, pure comedy. Like like pure, a word ling, with a K. Linguistically, mushroom yeah. bigger. Right. Mushroom big. There's no c- cartoon characters named Mushroom or you know plethora. Right. Plethora the dancing puppet. No, like no, right? But there's right. a Tigger. Right. You know we've have great rappers who are bigger and jigger and trigger and little wigger and there's wiggers. There's, I mean, igger. It just, it's a, it's a fun, tasty. So nigger's fun and tasty. Mm-hmm. It dances in the mouth. It has horrible connotations, but people love saying it. That's why they say it when there's no niggers around. Nigger, 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 nigger. It's just fun. Right. So my policy on it is have fun with it, but just watch out. You might get fucked up. I just am in a position because of the color of my skin and because of what people think, I don't get fucked up when I say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a fun word to say. It's more fun than any other word you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's why it doesn't go away. It's a really fun word. Unfortunately, it got associated with a very horrible time in American history. <laughs> We've got this word. Who can we apply it to? It's fun to say. You know, I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be better? It what, if it, what if it was the sound you made riding on roller coasters, right? Then it'd be, it'd be, it'd be so much fun. You'd want to get back on. We've taken another turn. <laughs> so tell the the, the song. Uh, uh, what is the, what is the title of that song? Juice. Juice. But we uh, also spell it. But we J-O-O-Z. spell it J O O Z. Okay. Just, where where did you come up with that? What was the inspiration for that? Song? I like the word juice, my friend. <laughs> this sounds really weird, but coming from like movies, I didn't. This sounds really weird. I didn't know about anti-Semitism even growing up. So it's like when I when I was working in ESPN on the East Coast, you're like, oh, there's Jewish people, whatever, and you're like, it's it just. The thing, but I just like the word Jew. I like what it sounds. I mean, I guess we phonetic brothers as well. Just the word Jew. And then I think I had told him that once, and then uh, he's like, oh, and then that, that kind of came with a song right there. So he's like, let's say it as many times as possible. So even the message didn't probably come first. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, how do we how do we how do we musically how do we musically create an invi- an opportunity for him to say a word he likes to say a lot mm-hmm. a lot of times and then you get to say the n word because you like to well, say well I know I think the n word the n word came backwards I think it was we were working on it and then you're working on the song and then you need a catch and it's just like you know how far would we go. You know, like we're saying, we don't talk about Jews. So how far would we go? And it's like, well, you know, we got a black and a white team. This guy will say nigger 50 times before we talk about Jews. And then, and then, and then of course, in the rule of comedy, you're heightening it. So if I tell you twice that, I'm gonna, that he would say nigger 50 times, and the third time I have to heighten it somehow, so I just give you 50 niggers. 
And by the way, you've just probably clocked 65, 68, 75 niggers just now in this episode. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is the, title. This, is, is, this, is the this, this is the nigger episode. This is the nigger episode so of Improper. Can you, can you, can you, this is episode you, nigger. Okay. Not even a number. It just has to be nigger. So, the episode. Okay, so can you help me here? Like, me hearing it, and it, it, Paul seems, but I definitely feel a little uncomfortable about it. Oh, Do nigger. you feel a little comfortable about when he says the N-word? No. Okay. Uh, why, why? Why is it that, that that I would feel uncomfortable? You're suffering from white guilt. Okay, I, yeah. I've known that for a long time. I'm, de- I'm, de- I'm desensitized. I, I absolve you. I put. I lay hands on you. You. you are free of okay. the guilt of your people. We actually that, we did that at a William Morris 9 a.m. Monday morning meeting. Uh, well, who? Will, William Morris. Morris. At the agents, like all the agents and the CEO. And Which everything. I'm sure was all white and, people, right? A lot of Jews. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we did it right there. It's like, come in. We did it cold at 9 a.m. That was fun. And what was their response to it? Did they they mazeltoffed. Did they really? At the end of Everybody the, was changing. Every, at, the end of the, at the end of the meeting, at the end of the meeting, they lifted up their glasses and were like, mazeltoff. Yeah, and then just everybody put their yarmulkes on. There was a girl in the front row, and we were like, uh, uh, presumed anti-Semites do not get their own primetime show. And she leaned over to the girl next to was like, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They really don't. So, yeah. And we actually wrote that before. We didn't have that song. It was newer, and we went to our callback in New York, and the per- the scout who had said it, we got we go, oh, we got this new song. She's like, no, you know, because she's prepping us and everything's like, oh, you're not doing something I haven't seen. And it was like we were ready to. Do. We're like, no, we're doing this one. And we yeah. played it for. Her. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. do that. You got to do Where that. Where does because that almost sounds defiant to me. Where does the name Defiant Thomas Brothers come from? Oh, the, the Defiant movie. part. The Defiant ones. The Defiant ones. Okay. Starring uh, Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis. Where they, 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 there's a prison and a chain gang, and the, the bus, whatever, crashes, and they're, crashes and they're, they're chained together. together. One's black, one's white, and they have to find out how to make it work. Yes. That was a 57, and then uh, that's where it came from. And also, But I saw the Bob Urich, um, yeah. Carl Weathers version first. So it actually really informed our, that's we informed our process. The first thing we did was when we, when we decided that we had a, sh- that, that we wanted to do some work together, mm-hmm. the very first thing we did was, called the Methadone Theater and booked opening night. And that was kind of like our Defiant Ones chain, you know? So it's like, we have a show now. Yeah. Now we have to do, now we have to work. Hey, was the show even together? We have, no. no. We haven't written our thing. What, what was that first show like? Pretty yeah, rough? No. 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 Actually, no, it was actually pretty nice. We had run stuff before that. We weren't just coming up there the first time. And we had been getting, you know, We went through some open mic and, and stuff, but, the fir- it, but we, yeah. we, you know, we locked it in. Like that, you have to have, you have to know that there has to be a goal. There has to be a reason. So had you not done that, what would have happened? If you would not have said to yourself, you know what, screw this, in three weeks or six weeks, we're putting on a show. Well, it was a little bit longer than that. We gave ourselves like eight months. Yeah, We gave ourselves like eight months. Okay. But had we not done that, I don't know if we would have. See, that's a really hard question because I don't know. By the time we got to that point, I think that we understood that we both understood that's what we had to do. You know, like. There were kind of conversations, and it was kind of, you know, I kind of knew that Paul liked dates, and, you know, he liked punctuality and little things like that. And, you know, you, you, you have to have something to work for. You know, putting a group together and not having a show or getting yeah. ready for a run or not preparing for a performance is just, you know, it's detrimental to the group dynamic because there's nothing pushing you forward, you know? But there'll be people, who, myself included, who listen to this podcast go, well, well you know, it's, it's not ready. It's got to be perfect. I, you know, I, 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 I can't put something up. If it... I was at any classes, I'm like, you're in Chicago, put up a show. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's enough theaters to rent. It's not rocket science of, of, of renting it. 
sending a press release out, and it doesn't matter if somebody comes or your your friends are going to come at least first time around, you know, and 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 <laughs> well, you, when you're you know, you're like, oh, that, that, you, that's when you're you're inviting to your level C shows, and later you're like, man, thanks for coming to my level C. I, I'm better now. And then you can't get them to come later. But but put just <laughs> get the reps and put up. You're gonna if you're gonna do an hour yeah. show with your sketch group, yeah, you're gonna have some stuff that you've. It's hard to get reps on, but you're gonna have some stuff good. You're gonna have filler. This is the place to do it because everybody complains. You go to the coast, you have to have your A game on all the time, so you're not writing new material because you don't know if industries in the trees in the crowd in the crowd in the crowd. And you were thinking actually before you guys began of moving to LA, right? Yeah, it's kind of the thing. Like that's what you're supposed to do. I do a lot of filming stuff here and that, and I don't. It's like that's what you're supposed to do. And this kind of was nice because I was just like, yeah, I'm supposed to go. I mean, there's, what else am I gonna do here? You know, because it's like that's where the industry is. But this was perfect timing for that. So, tell me about the the, the first scene we we saw. What what's the what is the the, the name of that scene? The, we call it Pool Boy. Okay. Pool Boyd. Yeah. Um, what about that scene? Tell us how you got the inspiration for that. Um, I I like acronyms. I was like, I'm all you know. I just like the acronym thing. Um, and then uh, I think we we're just kind of sitting around, like you know, what if. Uh, you know, it's just like, what if, what if racial slurs were acronyms for legitimate businesses? I'm trying to think which one we had first. But then the remember. business, but then the business was actually the stereotypical thing of the acronyms. That makes sense. And we're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And we're like, oh, uh, like, um, uh, and then you just start. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, and. Which, then you're going to a th you're, not you're thesaurus, like, but you're uh, actually looking up stuff. Looking yeah, you're looking and like, you're looking and you're like, oh, what's oh. what's a good? At, oh, man. well, do, it's hard. I mean, yeah, do people even do people even call them WAPs anymore? No, WAPs yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, you know, you know, and just you just go through all of these. You know, you're googling fucking. Uh, at the time, it was Yahooing, right? You're Yahooing a list of racial slurs. Like, oh, yeah. God, I hope they're not tracking this, you know? And you're just looking them all up, and you're like, do people even say that anymore? And then you just kind of you're going through and you're picking them, and you know, and then you know, and then and then finally you like land on something, and you're like, oh, that works. And then can another one work? Yeah. And how do we? Yeah, Coon took us a while, because we had Coon first. You know, you have to work backwards. First, you like work backwards. Like, so it's yeah, like coon. So then who, you know, then who would say it? And then well, well I, you know, or to justify the thing, I would have to be the coon. And then it's like, okay, well, what, what, what are you? So then you know, so what's an N? You know, you don't want to be cheap, and you don't want to go, you know, like captain of of night. You know, it's like stop. You know, it's, it's got to be clever. It's got to be fun. There, it's got to be entertaining. There's one there where, if in that scene, he had used the N word uh, on that one and had a, and had an acronym. I, it wouldn't have worked. That's one right. where you're not. Yeah, I'm surprised is, you weren't pushing to get yeah, the well, audience in that one. No, yeah, no, no, just, no. Yeah, that's one where you, you. It's weird. You draw that line of going. You're you're putting people in a bed. They're not protected on that because you're like, oh, I want you to laugh when you say that. It would work with a comedy crowd or people who know you. But that's one where you, you want to protect the audience and not to put it there. See, like the like, thing Coon's, is, Coon's safe enough. It's old and old enough racial slur. Right. Well, not only that, it's a it's a slur that's it's kind of a slur that's in house. You know, nine times out of ten, if you find someone calling another person a coon, it'd be a you know a <laughs> black it'd be slur. a black it'd be a black that's person telling another slur. black it's in house slur. It's a black thing. Yeah. You wouldn't understand it. Right. I don't even know why you laugh when I right. say coon, but you do. Right. It just works. And I'm just I'm joking. Right. 
Keep the slurs in house, guys. That's what keep keep slurs doing. in house. Okay. Slurs Don't in-house. let them out. Okay. Don't let them out. Gonna... Nigger got out, and we've never been the same. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay we're gonna take some questions and answers from the audience for you guys. I'll uh, stop, Jimmy. Uh, I'm, I know it's making you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. No, I like to be uncomfortable. Okay. Cool. Okay. Great, Tom. Why'd you guys break up? Okay, next question. What's the next question? <laughs> okay, great. Right okay, here. We, here's, okay, we couldn't agree on the year to get back together. <laughs> great. <you> <laughs> uh, what do you like about working in a duo versus working in a larger ensemble? <laughs> less people to email, less people to call. <laughs> when you have, no, less when people you have, to deal with. We did, when we when we got together, we we're like, oh, you, you know, the thing is, you get a director. So we were like, it'd be the norm. Holly or Mick, people that we knew had the respect. Because otherwise, Mick Napier, yeah. yeah, Mick or Norm's like one one of those ones. Because I had Norm for classes here, at uh, or at Second City, and they they would really have to have the respect because you're you're the third wheel, you know. If you have three, once you have three people, that's where you start to get into your. That person needs to wrangle and have some maybe a voice. Um, with two other people, have directors for two, but it's it's kind of one where you bounce it off. You could try it similar like stand up. You're like, okay, I can work this on myself. So. Um, I don't like recommend four or against, but it's got to be the right person uh, with 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 two people because you're adding uh, you're adding fifty percent more bodies to come in and shape your stuff, and that can be if it's not again it's not, if it's not the right person that could be yeah. detrimental to your progress. I think with I think with large ensembles, I think they're 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 fun when you, they're fun when they're working, and they're fun when you're you know it's it what's the goal. You know what I mean? Like, what's the goal? So, like, if I was trying to, let's say I'm trying to sell beer, well, then, yeah, I mean, I want a six-man ensemble possibly because I can play a whole bunch of ranges for my larger house and possibly sell more product or whatever. But um, I think in this situation, it's it's really about when you're working with someone else and you're a duo and you've you've already know that you can work together, then you then you have a really good creative avenue. And then other stuff that exists, because, you know, you still have, like, Lola Bellatro mm-hmm. and things like that. I do some music with a couple buddy of mine, things like that. But as far as, like, for the comedy things, it's, it's more of a vehicle. You know, I have this comedy idea. It requires the two of us, you know, because that's all you need. Everything else is going to be filler. You know, if, you just, have a, if you have a group of three, four, five, six, you have to go like, what's the goal at the beginning? Is it just to do shows? Because there's enough groups like Widest Kids You Know yeah. who had a TV show later at UCB included. They're like, our goal is to have a show. We're going to put on a new show every week, which is opposite of ours. But they're different. If you're writing for TV, you have to keep writing. Ours is more like stand-up or a Second City thing where you're like, no, let's get this thing home. Keep running the same thing. But they have very clear goals and both ended up with a TV show. And they, I'm sure that neither one had a director. You know, or bringing that in. Otherwise, you, I'm sure maybe you've had that experience. You have like five people, and you meet, and then you're talking for the first hour about whatever. Nothing gets done, and that's where you have to have that outside. I voice. would almost think too is like because you both have such strong voices that the more people you add, the le- the less concentrated your voice is, Co- comedic voice. Uh, yeah, again, depends on you know what the it's just what's clicking. It's, it's just, just about yeah, clicking. it's just about what you want to do. Same sense of humor and whatever, then you just click. But if you're like that thing of, I want to start a group, and you put an ad out for three people. Are you, you like comedy? It's just, you know, it worked for Lars Ulrich and Metallica. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yes. Um, but not for everybody. Put an ad in the back of Kerrang. Yeah, Kerrang. <laughs> Great. Another so question? Me, right here. Jerry? Uh, yeah, first of all, your guys' instincts are right on. There's exactly 10 people in the audience. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things about being in Chicago is you get to see a lot of people. You get to see a lot of different uh, performers, you know, Yayo, Noyance. Yeah. Uh, and then every now and then you see somebody and you go, wow, this is really special. And that was what it was like the first time I saw you guys. Oh, thank what you. It, was it like that the first time you guys started performing together? I think we, we out of the gate, I remember showing my friends, because I had like clips, I audio, t I like a cassette of when we did some variety show. And I remember being on vacation with my friends going, listen to this. Like this, I just moved and started doing comedy two years before and I'm playing them like a shitty cassette thing of my thing and asking them to listen for laughs. But we kind of knew, it was like full bore right away. And there's, the, you know, gimmick's the wrong word, but he's black, I'm white, Defiant Thomas Brothers. You know, that's something, but that gets you this far, you know, of having, of and then the, the stuff about the, uh, the politically correct stuff, uh, I'd rather see it as like politically accurate mm -hmm. so that people are laughing with you because yeah. they, they, they know what that, yeah. those remarks are based in yeah. uh, as opposed to trying yeah. to offend people. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think everyone's missing, I think everyone's missing the mark, and I, I think with all of it across the board, everyone misses the mark, and I think that's one of the reasons why I feel safe about the type of comedy we do. It's all social constructs. At the end of the day, there's two type of people, nice ones and mean ones, you know? And mean ones are just fucking mean. We can erase racism. It's not going to stop you from being mean. It's just going to mean you're going to find a different word to try to insult me if you're mean. So we're not mean people. We don't put up mean comedy. We don't put up mean scenes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you take a woman in the 40s, really nice, right, 30s, right, really nice grandmother, you know? So she sends her kid down to the park with the extra bag of cookies for the niggas that she knows don't have any money, right? <laughs> it's the 30s, but she's a nice woman. It's not her fault they're just little Negroes, right? She's a nice woman. But 2016, you have people gunning people down. They're just mean people. You know what I mean? But we're blanketed and painting everything with these racist constructs and these social constructs. So that's why political correct doesn't inform any of our comedy. We're not mean people. We're not putting up mean-spirited stuff. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not making you feel bad. It's, it's nice, funny stuff. And it might the things we use to make you laugh and giggle might be things that might make you uncomfortable. But that's not our fault. That's just the world we live in. When you did the... Remember the, I told you about the eloquent thing? That was... Yes. Yes. <laughs> when you did the, the scene, the pool board. Yes. I, what I got from that is black, white, doesn't matter what you are, we're all prejudiced. Would you say that, that that's a right... Have some prejudice in us. Would you say that's a fair assessment of, of, of a takeaway from that scene? Hey, sure. <laughs> sure. Well, I was like, they were like, cool, you got that? Sure. Right. It has, it's, um, um, you know, the, this, we really wrote the scene because we like acronyms. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know how to, yeah. I don't really know how to, like, like, really, one day the world's going to find out we're just two fucking idiots and, and we're going to have a problem on our hands. But as long as you smart people keep adding all this context to our stuff, it's going to be amazing. Um, I don't know. I think that what we were just trying to do is make people laugh. And I think what's, what was funny is um, hearing that these things weren't about people but were about things because you know it's mean when it's about people it's not so mean when it's about a store or a, a product you know i mean we have no problem with anything when it's not human you know like abortion mm -hmm. 
right? Right. When it happens to chickens, it's eggs. It's breakfast. We don't. We have no problem with that, right? Yep. Right. So, it's. Got your abortion reference. That's so, so there it is. Abortion this morning. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, so, do you get people either reading into your stuff like I just did, or being offended by it? Oh, people read into it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the, it's How does the best. that make you feel that, that, that you know? But it's, it's not it's not inaccurate because you just go, oh, okay. Or like, I like you guys. Did you you know? Or like, I, that's a point of view on that one. I've been for like, no, I just made a bunch of analogies on this. That's where it came from. It comes many times from. Here's an idea for a scene, and I, it's just like this pure. Wouldn't it be funny? Or a line of dialogue. We have a, a scene where it's just like. A guy from high school who went out to Iraq came back and he said this one cheesy thing and just built a scene off of it. And it's like nothing more than that sometimes. And and I think we've all seen, we've probably seen this. It's, it's like a, maybe a minority group, uh, underrepresented, whatever, and it's a whole sketch group and everything. And it becomes preachy because every scene's about being persecuted or whatever. And you're like, do that at high schools, you know, after school, whatever, because it's like, it's heavy-handed, and that we just we just never, you know, you ever, those those things fall down quickly. The heavy-handed ones. You have, yeah, absolutely. Those fall. Do you ever watch? Oh, okay. So, um, uh, Sanford and Son. Yes, loved it. Yeah, Grady. You love Grady. Grady was Grady. one of my favorite characters. Okay, yeah. Whitman Mayo. That's his name, and he was a theater teacher at school where I went to school. So I got to study theater under Whitman Mayo. And Whitman Mayo used to always say, part of your job as an act or as a performer is to show people where they are, who they are, and the condition they're in, you know? So I think that, like, that's, that's just what we do. We just kind of, I mean, that, this exists. You know, when, if, 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 if we want the, if, if uh, what we do a, we have black people talking loud in a the movie theater, right? Is that a sketch you there's do? A, there's a reference to it. It's a reference, yeah. In a, in a scene. Um, and uh, you know, when 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 they when on the vast majority level, blacks stop being loud in movie theaters, that joke will lose its funny. Until then, it doesn't. So I'm gonna wait Black America out. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna stop telling my joke. I'm gonna wait you out. You stop being loud in theaters, then my joke dies. But what we do with political correct is we tell we try to tell the comics to stop reflecting me. Stop reflecting me because I don't want to stop doing this, but I don't necessarily want you to reflect me. But it's like, no, you want me to stop reflecting you, stop doing it, and then my art will change. But until then, my job is to show you, show you who you are, where we are, and what condition we're in, and, and, and make you laugh while we're doing it. We got to wrap this up. This is just, this, I could go for another three hours <laughs> talking about this. This is great. And we're we end on N-words, we, we, too. Pardon? We're short on N-words. You just more, drop some more N-words. I, do you think we got... I think we... <laughs> we might have a few. Okay, okay. Um, so we end the podcast the same way, and we're gonna, we'll start with you, Paul. What one piece of advice would you give somebody starting out in improv and comedy and sketch today? Do the work. Mm-hmm. Just do the work and do it. And it'll get, you're going to write and rewrite. And, and in your 20s, you hang out with your friends. And that's cool and all that, but just remember what you what you started this for, and do the work. And ego is always a battle for people who've been doing it a long time. But if you're great at it, you're going to enjoy it and try to be great. And everything else, you can't guarantee it's going to happen. But try to be great. Seth, what was the question again? What is one piece of advice you would give someone starting out in improv, comedy, or sketch today? 
Say nigger a lot. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, he said it, you know, put in the work, you know. Um, I, it's funny, Oscar Wilde said, uh, work is easy, play is hard. And the hard thing about play is the work, which is easy, right? So it's like, you know, it's a, just do the work. Paul Thomas, Seth Thomas, the Defiant Thomas brothers, thank you so much for being our guest no, at Improv Nerd. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> thank you. You thought I was going to give you another one, huh? I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. That was great. Uh, let's give these guys a hand. There you have it. That's another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. And I want to thank our guests, the Defiant Thomas brothers, Paul Thomas and Seth Thomas, for being our guest today. And I especially enjoyed the part where Seth made me so uncomfortable. Because good podcasting, sometimes the host needs to be uncomfortable. Please check out their show. They're at the Second City Training Center on Friday nights here in Chicago. Uh, I want to thank Stage 773 and Chicago Sketch Fest for uh, uh, letting me be a part of this. So I'd like to thank Brian Posen, Jill Valentine, and Brian Peterlin. Uh, I'd also like to thank my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, the Artist Low Comedy, and workshops, all you need to do is go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Also, follow us on social media. Like our Improv Nerd fan page on Facebook. It really helps with my low self-esteem. And follow us on Twitter, improv underscore nerd. And then check out our wonderful YouTube channel, which is Improv Nerd Podcast, uh, all one word, clips of our live shows. We are lucky to be part of Feral Audio. Uh, It is a podcast collective with some of the most innovative and unique and, of course, hilarious podcasts out there. Uh, People like Chelsea Peretti, Dan Harmon, Steve Agee, Todd Berry, Jimmy Corain. I just, I love throwing my name in there. And that's at feralaudio.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors today, the fourth annual Omaha Improv Festival. Go to omahaimprovfestival.com for more information. Improv Training Hub in New York City. For more information, go to improvtraininghub.com and the Chicago Improv Festival. And for more information, go to chicagoimprovfestival.org. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. say uh Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff what would it, what would that be like <laughs> it might go something like this oh Mr. Karloff I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob why Mr. Seinfeld I'd love having you 